0: It seems that the news all around us have been, has been bad recently. Father, we pray that you will give us wisdom to know what to do, how to do it, and to do it in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. Lord, the good news that we're looking at here this morning is the fact that, precious Lord, you are the best interior and exterior decorator we could ever look at. You have everything under control when it seems like the world has nothing under control. Lord, let us trust in you. Father, we pray as we look into the word today that you will speak to our heart. I pray that you will make this lesson simple, straightforward, and Lord, it's something that we can literally hang our hat on, hang our coat on. We can see, Lord, that you Had great things in store for mankind. And you used this man, Paul, to bring messages of truth to ages, to generations, through the centuries, to believers, for those who do not know you. And he called and you used him to bring people to come to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know how much of this we're going to get through this morning. I want to look specifically as we begin at the definitions, uh, and we're we're going to do that in just a moment. But Paul's letter to the Roman churches was written in a systematic and organized fashion. You may not think so, but it was. You could say that Paul was a trendsetter. You could say that um, this really is the beginning of systematic theology. That's a a word that I know most people don't even hear or talk about, but systematic theology is simply an orderly and logical presentation of God's word. And when you're reading this letter, and this was written to the house churches in Rome, not one particular church, this letter is what has shaped our Christian faith and belief for over 2,000 years. Now, looking back over two weeks ago, we discovered in chapter 5 that sin has come through Adam to man, and sanctification comes to man through Jesus Christ. So those things are very simple very straightforward. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you remember uh, uh, the definitions of justification and sanctification because, honestly, I can't remember what I had for dinner last Thursday, so... Um, I don't expect you to remember these words or these, these def- definitions. I do know what I have on Friday night, every Friday night, hamburgers and french fries. Okay, I do know that. So, anyhow, two weeks ago, I promised you I was going to give you definitions of the doctrines uh, that we're studying, and what we're going to look at, and by the way, these definitions are abbreviated. If I took the time to go through each one of these, we could spend a whole hour just on this, and then I could start over again the next week and still not be done, okay? So I'm giving you a very abbreviated definition. The first one we're looking at here this morning is imputed sin. So if you put that up on the screen, that would be good. Imputed sin, it's the result of man's participation in Adam's sin. Therefore, the Scripture tells us from the New American Standard Bible, justice through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Very clear, through one man's sin, judgment came to all men. This doctrine is called original sin. However, our sin was, here's, okay, imputed sin. Imputed, it means it was charged, it was credited To Jesus Christ, God took our sin, your sin, my sin, and he placed it on him on the cross. Okay, the following verses explain this very clearly. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, that needs to go up on the screen, please. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. And then Isaiah 53.6, many of you know this, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, okay? But there's a future blessing here for those who believe uh, when we're in heaven, we're going to be able to stand in God's presence, in God's presence uh, because Jesus has taken our sin upon himself and he has done this, he has given us a gift and that gift is his righteousness, and his holiness to us. So that's what all of this means. Okay, when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, your sin is imputed. It's given to Jesus Christ. He does something for you. He gives something back to you. He gives you righteousness and holiness. This is all done through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now the second definition is this. It is justification. This takes place when... um, An individual trusts Jesus Christ as Savior. It removes the guilt and penalty of sin. All right, these are things you need to know because we talk about words like this all the time. But I I fear that in many cases in our, our, our church doesn't understand the depth of what Christ has done for us. Okay, so... Our sin is removed. The guilt and penalty of sin is removed. It occurs the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ in a very simple way, a very good way for you to remember justification. It's as if you never sinned. It's accomplished by faith. Christ's righteousness is then experienced and enjoyed, and you are made right with God. The guilt and penalty of sin is removed. It's removed. Uh, We are now saved from wrath. And the verse needs to go up on the screen, please. Having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him, through Jesus Christ. So the penalty of sin, remember this, the penalty of sin is death. When you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it is death. There are two locations for our soul, heaven and hell. Now, the penalty of sin is death. That is removed, but here's something you have to understand. The power of sin in your life is still around us. And you can dabble in sin. The power of sin is still around you. So, But I want to tell you this. Justification is an act of God. It's free. Now we come to this word, sanctification. Sanctification. This is a lifelong process. Screen, please. Sanctification is a lifelong process where the individual chooses to grow in Christ. It's a lifelong process. How many of you have ever felt like you've just come to a point where you've drifted away from Christ? Okay, this is where you are struggling with sin in your life, and this is where you need to continue to work. You continue to need to ask God to forgive you of your sin. You see, sanctification is not an act. It is a continuous work of the believer, gift of God, but it's a continuous work of the believer. As you grow in faith... Your growth in Christ is what makes you the sinner, makes you righteous. Sanctification or spiritual growth is a process that continues throughout your life. I heard a story this morning on the radio um, as I was driving to church, and it was um, a story about a a man, an older man, who was with a, a group of men, and they were having a Bible study, and they were asking for prayer requests, And they asked this older gentleman who'd been saved a long time, he said, "Um, is there something we can pray for you about? He said, I really don't want to bother you or God uh, at this point in time, but yes, yes, I'd better talk with you about this. He said, I feel like I'm further away from God than I've ever been in my life. You see, spiritual growth is a process. It's something you have to work at. It's something you have to do. And as you do this, you grow closer to Christ. So we're commanded to be holy, to present our bodies, our, our members as slaves to righteousness, leading this, this sanctification. So um, that's in Romans chapter 6 and verse 19. And Philippians um, chapter 2 verses 12 and, th- and 13 also tell us that we are to work out our salvation. We're to be involved in good works. Yes, we're to be involved. One of the good works, the best good work, is for you to be in the Word of God, growing deeper in Christ. And then this last term I want to give you this morning's last definition, is um, righteousness. We talk about this all the time. You hear this from me, from anyone who has spoken from this pulpit, uh, through the last 150 years this church has been in existence. Righteousness is to live a holy and upright life according to God's standards. That's what it, that's what it means. We all don't know this, sin is disobedience. Isaiah 64, 64, 6. We are all infected with impure sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. We don't become righteous because of our goodness. God transfers the righteousness of Jesus Christ to those who trust him. Galatians 3.6 In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. God sees us as righteous because of our faith. All of these things take place because of that. From these very simple abbreviated definitions, you can see that God is a great interior decorator as well as an exterior decorator. You see, I personally believe that we are way too weak in our testimony for Jesus Christ. I personally believe that we don't rock the boat sometimes when we should. I believe that we should make waves sometimes. And we always seem to have excuses as to why we can't share the the name of Jesus Christ. Honestly, I don't want it on my conscience that um, my family members have gone to hell because of me, because I was fearful of, of sharing Jesus Christ. God moves into our hearts and lives by the power of the Holy Spirit to make us the kind of Christian we should be. He doesn't leave us in our sin, he saves us. This brings us right now, right here, to verse 1 of chapter 6. Whom do you serve? Point number 1. Paul opens this uh, um, chapter here. With an idiomatic question. Basically, you could call this a colloquial question. It was a question every Jew would understand. It's a brilliant question because we're still, preachers have been asking this question for 2,000 years. And this is what Paul says, what then shall we do? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he answers his own question. He says, by no means. He says, we have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? A brilliant question. Of course not. May it never be. This is where we take too much license. I won't hold back on that. I've done it myself. I know God will forgive me, so I'm just going to go ahead, and I'm going to go ahead and do this and suffer the consequences. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, your link to Adam is broken. There's an Old Testament illustration I think can help you understand this. Paul continues to repeat himself so that people understand what he's talking about. He goes deeper and deeper as he goes further. This Old Testament illustration is this, when Moses led the Israelites through the Red Sea, their bondage to Pharaoh and his taskmasters was broken. When we accept Jesus Christ, Our time, our condition of servitude is over. We are now linked to Jesus Christ. After you have experienced God's wonderful salvation, honestly, what we should say is hallelujah. Baptist brothers and sisters, I have fellowship with my charismatic brothers and sisters, and I got to tell you, they seem to have a lot more joy than we do. Uh, Pam, I think it was you that said, Pastor, how do you preach to the frozen chosen every week? Okay? We need to enjoy our salvation. We need to love Jesus Christ. We need to talk about who he is and what he's done for us. So after you have experienced God's wonderful salvation, what we can say, let's practice this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, you did it. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> the question is still magnificent. The question's been asked for 2,000 years. Should we keep on sinning so we can experience God's wonderful grace? No. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. Verse 3, Paul goes in, and he says, This is an excellent way for Paul to transfer into a deeper meaning, a deeper explanation of living for Jesus Christ. Or, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I want to talk about baptism in Paul's day and time and ours as well and how our ceremony relates similarly to theirs. Those who are saved are now baptized into the life of Jesus Christ. We've talked about that. Knowing that he died in our place. And his death is our death. Our sins have already been judged. My sin, your sin, was put on a Roman cross. And my faith in Jesus Christ identifies me with him. Jesus becomes our new leader. Verses 3 and 4 together. Now the opportunities of baptism in Paul's day, they weren't all positive. Okay, look at what he says here in verse 4. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. So I'm talking about adult baptism here. Um, This is what took place when a person believed that Jesus Christ was their their living Savior, and they wanted to be baptized. This was a ceremony that took place, and this is how it took place. The The person cut their Their fingernails, their nails, they cut their nails, they cut their hair, and um, they literally were beginning to uh, live their life all over again because what took place here is, in many cases, families disowned their adult children for becoming a follower of the way. That was the the term of uh, uh, Christianity back then. So, when a person entered Christianity from heathenism, three things. This is what took place for the male sacrifice, circumcision, and then baptism. These were their opportunities. To be baptized, the person, as I said earlier, cut their nails, their hair. Male was circumcised. They took off their clothes. It's believed some believe all of their clothes, others believe uh, they kept their undergarments on. They were given a white robe, which symbolized their purity. In the water, the person confessed their his or her faith before three of the church fathers, church leaders. The candidate then received uh, certain exhortations, teachings, advice, uh, counsel from the church leaders. Today, we follow a similar path. We confess that we've died to self. We confess that the, we we died to the old man. We testify that we're done living in sin. We're following a new way. We're following Jesus Christ. We're saying we're living a new life, a resurrected life. And as I said earlier, our sins are placed in two locations. On Jesus, because you've trusted trusted in him. Or on you, because judgment is ahead of you in hell. There's no other placement. Verse 4. Paul is amplifying your identity, our identity in Jesus Christ. We are identified with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. As as we've already talked about, our sins have already been judged. Today, baptism is a visual and verbal ceremony. It's, It's beautiful. You're watching a message take place in front of you because the person, as I've just said, confesses their sin says that they're going to live a new life for Jesus Christ. And as they go into the water, the, the, going into the water as Jesus signifies you're dying to the old way, death. You come back up out of the water, you're resurrected into new life. Symbolically, we're doing the same thing. We're raised and joined with him. So we come to verse 5. The life of Jesus truly is our life. When we owned the greenhouses, there were a number of things we experimented with. We, we tried some grafting. I wasn't very success, successful at it. Cindy's father was the expert. I was the novice. I was trying my best. We had some success, but grafting is when you're taking one type of plant and grap- putting it into another, and you're making a hybrid. Well, believers, We've been grafted together in the death of Jesus Christ, right here verse 5. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. We literally share the same DNA of Jesus, just as a limb of a tree shares the DNA uh, it's been grafted into. So the life of Jesus is now our life. Now look at verse 6. For we you know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, I, I like this. I, I found one word here that, that uh, stood out to me. It's the word body. And the, the NIV, the New American Standard, the New King James, and the ESV have the word body there. The word body simply means this. It means, um, the, the Greek word is katageo It means to make of no effect. The body is paralyzed. It's, it's canceled. So, literally, we should no longer serve sin. But this comes back to our sanctification where we have to work out our salvation. We have to continue to draw close to Christ. Okay, so... Um, Our old nature is no longer in bondage, but sin is not totally eradicated. This is where we have to work and work hard and trust and believe. Now, lastly, we're coming to this situation in verse 6. Your belief is key. Since we've died with Christ, we're to live for him now and forevermore. What does that mean to you? What does that mean for you to live forevermore for Jesus Christ? You see, someday you're going to be raised with him. And someday um, we will be judged for those things that we have done. (sighs) There are sometimes I I joke with my wife and say, well, you'll find me in the back row of heaven. Uh, You're going to find me making excuses. Bottom line is... um, we're going to be raised with him someday. What what will you have to say? Verse 9, the verse is self-explanatory, and it simply says this, we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ opens up eternity to all who have trusted him as Savior. I've already said this, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, You're committing yourself to a different type of lifestyle. Your belief in Jesus means you have died to one kind of life and you have been raised and born into another. I've already shared this as well. We're entirely too passive in our lifestyle and our testimony. So I'm encouraging you at this point in time to open up and be a little more bold in your love of Jesus Christ. Rock the boat, make a wave. You know what, if you offend someone it's better to have offended them than to have them die and go to hell. So Paul said our testimony should shine brightly and I believe that this is a time in our country when Christians can stand out. Those of us who are healthy we can go shopping for other people whose immune systems are compromised. We can show them the love of Christ. We can demonstrate it. We can be the feet and hands of Jesus Christ. Our testimony can speak loudly now. It doesn't say we need to be reckless, it simply means that we need to make a difference in the world. We need to clearly identify with Jesus in our testimony and our walk, and we need to actively live for him. Lord, Thank you. Thank you for your great love, your deep, deep, deep love of us. We give you thanks, Father, for who you are, for what you've done. We've taken a very quick look, Father, at the great works that you have accomplished for us. Thank you, Father, for righteousness, cleaning the slate for us. Thank you for sanctification. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of showing you that I love you and learning of you and sharing that love. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We do love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.